Good morning. So good to see all of you today. Thank you for joining us. And I want to welcome our guest today. We are so honored that you would be connecting with us. My name is Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here. In fact, my family has been a part of this church for the last 26 years, and uh, we welcome you. This is an awesome place, a loving group of people, and we are so humbled that you would be a part of what we're doing here. And if we can help you or answer your questions or let you know more about our church, don't hesitate to let us know that. Uh, the easiest way to connect with us is to go to our website, fcbc.life, and click on the connect card, and that'll let me know that you're here. And if we can help you or pray for you in any way, don't hesitate to let us know. You're, you're kind of coming into the last part of a series of messages that we are in uh, called Plot Twist, the story of Joseph. But the good news is you can go back online at our website and you can watch or listen to all of the previous messages uh, from this great story about Joseph in the Old Testament. And today we're going to continue and we want to be uh, really looking at Genesis, the last part of Genesis chapter 42, all the way through 44. How many of you think I can do that? Uh, I can do it, but how many of you think I can do it in the time span that we have this morning? That's the hard part right there. And so I hope you'll have your Bible ready. I'll put the verses up on the screen to make it easier for you to follow along. But today I want to talk to you about a message I'm calling, You Can Change. You know, in the 1980s, President Ronald Reagan repeated a phrase. It was a Russian proverb. And during the waning years of the Cold War, as he was dealing with the Soviet Union, seeking to uh, end the Cold War, seeking to rein in the proliferation of nuclear weapons, he used a Russian proverb over and over. The proverb was simply this, trust but verify. In fact, in one of the treaty signings with Mikhail Gorbachev, he used that phrase again, and Mikhail looked at him and said, you say that all the time. And President Reagan said, well, I like it. Reagan understood that if there's a true change of heart, it will be evidenced by a change of behavior. No matter how many treaties you sign or how many joint press conferences you hold or how many trips you make to Camp David, in the end, if there's been a change of heart, it will be evidenced in a change of behavior. And listen, that's true in my life and it's also true in your life when it comes to those moments in our lives where we realize what we've done in the past was wrong and we regret what we've done and we confess what we've done. That's wonderful. That is the first step in change. And it's a, a great step, but a changed heart will actually lead to change behavior. You know, sometimes we come to a church service like this, and man, the music is powerful, and, and the, the message is practical, and it's, it's like the pastor is preaching just to me, and God works in my heart, and I become very convicted about something in my past that I haven't dealt with and I've run from, but in that moment, I have a change of heart. I say, God, I'm done with that, and then we leave, and we feel better, but the hard work now begins. Because God is not just interested in you feeling better. He wants you to do better. Confessing our sin is one thing. It's the beginning step of, of a changed life. But that beginning step of a changed heart has to be followed through with changed behavior. And that's where we find ourselves today. Joseph's brothers had confessed to God. And unbeknownst to them, 
they had confessed to God in front of Joseph that how they had treated their little brother over 20 years earlier was wrong. In fact, they called it evil. They said what we did was a sin. And that was a wonderful first step. But Joseph needed to know if their confession was sincere. He wanted to trust, but verify. He wanted to make sure that his brothers were truly changed men before they could be reconciled to one another. And so Joseph issues three tests to them that they don't realize are tests. He's testing their character. He's testing to see if their words will be backed up by their deeds. You say you've changed. You say that you've repented before God. You say you know what you did was wrong. But are you going to live differently now? And so that's where we find ourselves today. And I think what we see in this story of Joseph's brother's lives is applicable to our lives. Because we can change, but we can't be content with just confessing our sin and then feeling better. God isn't just interested in us feeling better. He wants us to do better. We've got to make different choices going forward. What's the definition of insanity? You've heard it before. Doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. That is the definition of insanity. But God wants you to know today, you can change. You can be free from your past. And by his grace and through his strength, there is hope for you. We're going to pick up now in Genesis chapter 42, the last part of Genesis chapter 42, because I want you to see how Joseph issues three tests to his brothers to see if they're really changed men. Test number one is what I would call the test of truth over dishonesty. He's issuing to them the test of truth over dishonesty. Which one will they choose? In their past, they chose dishonesty, to get their way, to get ahead. But if they're really changed men, they will choose truth over dishonesty, no matter what the cost. If you recall, the brothers during this time of famine had gone to Egypt to get food back home in Canaan for their father and their families. And unbeknownst to them, the Egyptian official who had the authority to give out and to sell food to everyone who needed it was their brother, Joseph, whom they had thought was long dead. And during this time, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And so Joseph begins to inquire of them, who are you and where are you from? And they said, we're from Canaan. And he said, no, you're a bunch of spies. That's all you are. And they, they said, no, no, we're really, we're really all the sons of one father. There are 10 of us here. We've got a younger brother who's back home with dad. And we have another brother who is no more. They were referring to Joseph. saying we have another brother who's dead. And to test their honesty, he said, here's what we're going to do. One of you is going to stay here. The other nine of you can go home. But I expect you to come back with your younger brother that you've told me about, Benjamin. You bring him back here and then I'll know that you're not spies and you won't be put to death for espionage. If you're really honest men, you come. So that's what they did. They left Simeon in jail. They made that couple of hundred or so mile journey back home to Canaan and they went in and they told dad, Jacob, we've got to go back. We've got the food, but we got to go back. They've got Simeon. 
And that's where we pick up in Genesis 42, verse 38. But he, Jacob, said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. In other words, to the grave. He said, Benjamin is the last son I've got of my wife, Rachel. You're not taking him. I've already lost one son, Joseph. If I lose Benjamin, I will go to my grave in sorrow. You will hasten my death. And maybe the brothers are saying, Dad, we get this, but what about Simeon back in Egypt in prison? Maybe Dad's going, well, you know, things just happen. Uh, you know, how would that make you feel if you're Simeon thinking, well, you know, he never was my favorite son. Uh, so we'll just, we'll just move on. You know, bad things happen. But they plead. And, and, and the sad thing about this, it, Jacob is never seen praying during this time, seeking God's wisdom, seeking the direction of God. He's, he's lost confidence that God is in complete control of his family. Meanwhile, Joseph had given his brothers a lot of grain from which they could make bread. I mean, you think about 10 of these brothers, uh, and there are nine that are going back. They've got all these sacks of grain, uh, probably, according to most scholars, over a thousand pounds of grain. It sounds like a lot of grain. But when you've got 10 children and those kids are married and they've got kids, Jacob was responsible for at least 70 mouths to feed. That grain ran out in about two months. And this famine had just started. We're only into about the second year of the famine. How many of you remember how long the famine was going to last? How many years? Seven years. We have five more years of this. And Jacob realizes he's got to do something to feed his family. And so he tells his boys once again, go back to Egypt and get some food. And they said, Dad, you do remember, don't you? That official that gave us this grain, told us not to come back unless we bring Benjamin with us. And so we have to take him back. In fact, in that moment, Judah, one of Jacob's sons, he speaks up and he says, I will be the one in charge of taking care of Benjamin. You can trust me. Genesis 43, verses 6 through 7, we read these words. Israel, that's another name for Jacob. God had changed his name. So Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? Jacob is saying, listen, why did you even tell that Egyptian official you had another brother? And they're going, look, we didn't know he was going to probe us about our family origins and ask about you and ask if we had another brother at home. You see, what they didn't know, this is Joseph. Joseph knew they had a father. Joseph knew they had another brother named Benjamin. Joseph didn't know if dad was still alive. He didn't know if Benjamin was still alive. But he wanted to see if these brothers of his had changed. Will they be honest with him in answering their questions? And sadly, it seems that Jacob would have rather his children lie to this Egyptian official than tell the truth. Jacob's living in fear. 
So once again, to calm his fears, Judah promises to keep Benjamin safe no matter what. You can read that in Genesis 43, verses 8 through 10. And finally, Jacob relents. And he allows them to go back to Egypt and to take Benjamin with them. In fact, Jacob loads them down with some gifts to take to this Egyptian official to kind of smooth the way over some things that had happened the last time they were there. They took some lotions and honey and spices. They took almonds and pistachios, which by the way, during a famine would have been extremely expensive and extravagant to be giving away. And they also took more money to buy food, plus the original money they had that had been returned to them because they were afraid they would be accused of stealing that money. So here they go. They make their trek back to Egypt. When they get there, Joseph sees them from a distance coming. That always reminds me, by the way, of the parable of Jesus when he talked about the parable of the prodigal son. And his father saw him from a long ways off. So Joseph sees his brothers coming and he says to his main servant, I want you to go and get everything ready. We're going to have a party today at noon. And I want you to bring them to me. So the brothers get the news. You're going to this official's house. He wants to see you in person. And they trembled. Oh, no. He is going to accuse us of having stolen the grain and kept our money the first time we were here. He's going to throw us all in prison and we're all going to become his slaves. So nervously, they start pleading their case with Joseph's official. Listen, we didn't take the money from the first time. We offered the money to buy grain. We got the grain. We went home. We've come back with our younger brother, just like your servant or your master told us to. But we were surprised as anybody to find our money in our sacks. We didn't take it. We don't know how that money got back in our sacks. And the official, the official servant said to him in 43, verse 23, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. He says, calm down. I've heard about your God and the God of your fathers, the God of the Hebrews. He's the one who's blessed you with this free food. That's why your money was returned to you. God's watching over you. Oh, and by the way, you did what you promised to do. You were honest. Here's your brother Simeon. He's set free from prison. And listen, the brothers took the risk of telling the truth. And God rewarded them. And Joseph knew they had passed the first test. 20 years earlier, they had lied about what they were going to do with Joseph. And they threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. For 20 years, they had lied to their father about what had happened to their brother, Joseph. For 20 years, they told one lie after the next to cover their sin. But finally, they have confessed it to God. And now, whenever they were put to the new test, will you be truthful or will you continue dishonesty? They told the truth. They passed the test, but Joseph wasn't done with them. He had another test for them. Test number two, joy over jealousy. Joy over jealousy. How would the brothers respond when they see the new favorite son of theirs, the new favorite brother being treated better than they are? How will they respond 
to the new favored son. Genesis 43, verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. So here, here Joseph comes for this party and they offer their presents and they bow down. Verse 27, and he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. Remember, Joseph had dreamed twice that his brothers one day would bow down before him. Genesis 43, verse 29. And he lifted up his eyes. This is Joseph. He lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And then he says straight to Benjamin, God be gracious to you, my son. Verse 30, then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there. For the first time in over 20 years, he has come face to face with the last remaining connection to his beloved mother, Rachel. Rachel who gave birth to Benjamin and who died in childbirth for Benjamin. And the last time Joseph had seen his little brother, Joseph was only 17. Benjamin was just a little baby. And yet now he sees him and it's more than he can handle. All those emotions, all those memories of his mother, of his childhood, of his family, of the good days of his life come rushing back and he breaks down in tears and he doesn't want these Hebrew boys to see it. So he runs out of the room and he weeps in his chamber. After that, he cleans himself up, washes his face. He comes back out and he orders that lunch be served. Joseph was seated by himself as the Egyptian official. The Hebrew brothers were all seated along another area by themselves. And all the other Egyptians who were there were seated separately. It was an abomination for the Egyptians to eat with Hebrews. So they kept their distance from one another. This was a part of the test though. Because the brothers were seated in order of their birth, from the oldest to the youngest. And they, they could not believe it. How, how would any of these Egyptians know our birth order? We're grown men. Sure, if we were little kids, it might be a little easier, but we're grown men. How did they know that you're the oldest and you're the second oldest? How did they know? To line us up from the oldest all the way down to the youngest, Benjamin. How did they know this? And they're amazed. And that was a part of the test. Verse, 40, uh, verse 34, Genesis 43, verse 34. Here's the test. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. How are they going to respond now? that there's a new favored son. 
In that culture, it was the oldest son who was to be respected, revered, who had all the authority in the family, who represented the father, the patriarch of the family. It wasn't the youngest, the runt of the litter, but now the roles have been reversed. It's the youngest who's getting all the attention. It's the youngest who is the honored guest. It's the youngest who's getting five times more food, five times more wine than any of us. What's going on here? It was a test. The last time these brothers had a son who was the favorite of their father, they hated him. They were furious at him. They were jealous over him. And they conspired to have him killed. And then they threw him into slavery and sold him for money into slavery and left him for dead. That's how they treated Joseph when he was the favored son and got more attention from his father, right or wrong, than the other brothers, how would they respond now that Benjamin is the favored son? Well, verse 34 says, and they drank and were merry with him. They drank and they were happy. They had a party at this table. And and listen, These brothers, they're not perfect, even though they're changed men, evidently. They're still not perfect because they have gone from one extreme to the other. 20 years earlier, they were filled with hatred and anger and jealous rage. But now they've kind of taken it to another extreme because in the Hebrew, this phrase for they drank and were merry is a way of saying they got drunk. They had a party. They had a little too much to drink. They went overboard in their celebration. But the point that the writer of Genesis 43 is making is they're changed men. And Joseph saw how they treated their little brother now. And he realized they passed the test of joy over jealousy. But he wasn't finished. There was a third test. I would call it the test of sacrifice over selfishness. Sacrifice over selfishness. The next morning, they get up, probably have a little coffee. They're told they can go home. They're given more grain to take home. And so they have to be elated. Could you believe what's happened? Here we were so afraid to come back to Egypt, to to face this Egyptian official. We didn't know what was going to happen. But man, what a party that was yesterday. And not only that, we have our our brother Simeon back and and we're going home to dad with food, but we're also going home with Benjamin, safe and sound. Dad doesn't have to worry anymore about Benjamin. This trip could not have gone any better. But little did they know as they were packing up, Joseph said to his servant, take this precious, valuable silver cup of mine and hide it in one of their bags. And he told him which bag to hide it in. And that's where we pick up now. The brothers the next morning are packing up. They're they're headed home. But then as soon as they get out of town, Joseph's servant intercepts them, stops them, and accuses them of theft. How could you do such a wicked thing, repaying good with evil? Look at Genesis 44, verses 7 through 12. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Verse 8, behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal 
silver, or gold from your Lord's house. Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. Listen, we didn't do this thing. We haven't stolen anything from, from uh, your Lord's house. And if, if we did let you put to death the one who stole it, and the rest of us will be your slaves. Verse 10, he said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Oh no, not Benjamin. The brothers are shocked. The brothers are dismayed. The brothers are sad, not because they believe Benjamin stole it. They don't know how that cup got in Benjamin's sack, but they know now Benjamin's life is on the line. So they all load up their donkeys. They head back to Egypt to face the official. They arrive again, once again. They bow themselves on the ground in front of Joseph, and they begin begging for mercy. And there's something strange that you can read uh, later on in Genesis 44 is they confess their guilt. But they didn't steal this silver cup that was found in their bag. This is not the crime they're, they're confessing to. They're confessing to the crime of how they treated their little brother Joseph over 20 years earlier. And they believe all of these problems are the result of what they did way back then. And it's all caught up with them now. We're guilty, absolutely, not of stealing this cup. But we are guilty of how we treated our brother over 20 years ago. And they began pleading for Benjamin's life. In fact, they said, listen, let Benjamin go. And let me stay. In fact, Joseph says, no. The rest of you can go home, return to your father in peace, but I'm keeping Benjamin. He's going to be punished for what he's done. And at this point, Judah, one of the brothers, steps forward and he respectfully pleads with Joseph, please don't do this. Benjamin is innocent. Let him go. My father cannot bear to lose another son of his beloved wife, his late wife, Rachel. Please, don't do this to Benjamin. Look at, listen to Genesis 44, verses 32 and following. Judah says, For your servant, me, he's talking about himself, for your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Twenty years earlier, Judah agreed to sell his brother Joseph into slavery and to profit from it. Twenty years earlier, he could care less how his father felt being bereft of his beloved son. But now, 20 plus years later, 
Judah steps up and he says, I become the sacrifice for my brother. Let me be the substitute for my little brother, Benjamin. You keep me instead of him and let him go home because my father, I can't bear to think what's going to happen to him if we come home without Benjamin, whom he loves. I can't bear it. I will pay the price. Do to me what you would do to Benjamin, but let Benjamin go. And listen, you're going to have to come back next week to see how Joseph responds. I've got to keep you coming back. You've got to come back next week to see how Joseph responds. But listen, when Joseph issued this test, will you choose sacrifice over selfishness? If you're changed men, I know which one you'll choose. They passed the test because they all went back and pleaded for Benjamin. And Judah stepped up and said, I will stay instead of him. They chose sacrifice over selfishness. They were definitely changed men. When they were given the opportunity to repeat their old sins, they chose to repent of their old sins. They chose truth over dishonesty. They chose joy over jealousy. They chose sacrifice over selfishness. There's a biblical word for this whole thing that is taking place, a change of heart that leads to a change of action. It's the biblical word called repentance. The Greek word repent means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action. The best way I can describe it is if, if you see a sign that says God's way. This is God's will for your life. This is what God expects of you. This is what God wants of you. God's way. And it's good and it's always blessed. It's not always easy. It's not always popular. It's not always convenient, but it's the best way. God's way. This is how God wants me to live. But over here is my way what my flesh wants, what my heart desires, what my friends want me to do, what my popular culture says is, is okay to do. I, I want to do things my way. And sin is choosing my way over God's way. And listen, I can promise you, I know where this road leads. This road leads to misery. This road leads to pain. This road leads to heartache. Going my way is never the best way. And when I have finally come to the conviction in my heart that going my way has been wrong and I am tired of it, I not only repent of it and say, God, I confess my way is the wrong way. True repentance, true change of heart leads to a change of action. God doesn't just want me to feel something. He wants me to do something. God's not just interested in me feeling better. Whoo, that's a load off my conscience. I've confessed my way is not the best way. God is not just interested in me feeling better. He wants me to do better. And repentance is when I make a U-turn going from my way, I'm coming back to God's way. That's the direction. That's the meaning of repent. It means to go in a new direction, turn from my sin, turn back to God. God, my relationships have not glorified you. My relationships from this day forward, I'm going to live and do things your way. What does that look like in your life? Let's talk about our sins for a moment. We beat up on the brothers of Joseph for weeks and weeks, but I've got a whole list. You, you could write a book about mine and yours as well. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You've got your own list of sins where you went your way, you did things that were wrong, you messed up and you tried to cover it up. But now God's given you a chance. He's given you an opportunity. He's given you a test. Will you repeat your old ways or will you repent? 
of your old ways and turn back to God. Maybe for some of you that means it's time to get an accountability partner for your porn problem. Maybe for some of you that means it is time to stop feeling bad about your sin and start doing something that will make it better by by calling up a counselor and saying, listen, I need to work on me before I work on this marriage because my heart's not right. Maybe for some of you it's time to get in Celebrate Recovery, a support group where people take the Beatitudes of Jesus and they apply it to their daily struggles, their hurts or their habits or their hangups. And you say, I'm going to do something. I'm going to start intentionally going God's way. Maybe for you, the choice is to join a life group where you study the Bible together with a small group of friends. You encourage one another and pray for one another and care for one another. And you apply God's word together in your daily lives. What does it mean for you to not just feel better that, man, I've confessed it, that was a moving church service, and man, I got my heart right with God. But what does it mean for you to not just feel better, but to do better? To do things differently. There are people in your life who are cheering you on. They want what's best for you, but they're afraid to trust you because you've been down this road, they've heard your words, and there's never been a follow-up with actions to show that your heart has changed. It's time to repent of your sin and to realize that God doesn't just want you to feel better. He wants you to do better. What are you going to do differently now than you've done in the past? And aren't you grateful that we, we read that verse last week that told us if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's wonderful. But there's another verse of scripture that's wonderful. Let me read it to you. It's Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. It's time to turn from your way and come back to God. It's time to turn from your sin to the Savior. And when you turn to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then he was ready to bless you. He can't bless you if you keep going this way. But he's ready to pour out blessings on you if you'll go his way. Come back to God. Maybe for somebody in the room today, coming back to God means coming to God for the first time as your personal Lord and Savior. Trusting Jesus and his finished work on the cross of Calvary to forgive you of your sin And to receive that gift of God's eternal life that he has for you. Jesus said in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you ready to do that today? Stop making excuses. Stop listening to the skeptics. And put down a stake of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, I stake my eternal destiny on you, you and you alone are going to be my Lord and my Savior. I choose Jesus today. For many of you, you've already received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But all of us are imperfect people this side of heaven. All of us have areas of our lives where we need to stop going our way, need to make a U-turn and go God's way. And my prayer is that today, you'll not just feel better, you'll do better as a result of God's grace at work in your life. And, and 
This is going to sound cruel, but it's actually from a heart of love. If you don't want to repent of some sin in your heart today, I pray every time you drive down the road and you see a U-turn sign, it's going to scream at you about your sin. I pray that you'll never see a U-turn sign the same way again until you turn from your way and turn back to Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this story, the true life story of Joseph and his brothers. And we thank you that you're the hero of this story, not Joseph, not the brothers, not Jacob. You are the hero of this story, showing yourself to be mighty and strong, showing yourself to be sovereign and forgiving, showing yourself to be patient and willing to receive those who come back to you. And Father, we thank you and praise you for being that kind of God. I pray that right now, in this moment, if anyone needs to receive Jesus as their Savior, this will be the moment right now they say to you in their heart, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. I stake my eternal destiny on Jesus Christ who died for me, who was buried, who rose from the dead on the third day, and who receives me right now as I trust him by faith. And now, God, that I've put my faith in Jesus Help me to learn more about him so that I can live for him. And God, for all the other people in this room who have already trusted Christ as their savior, I pray that today, whatever it is they need to repent of, they'll turn from their way and turn back to you and let you bless them and forgive them and restore them and let it be a testimony to a watching world that we're not perfect, but we are changing by your grace. And Father, we'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.